0: Welcome to the Mailer Campbell Podcast. This is our series of discussions and interviews designed to provide coaches with inspiring learning content. I'm Debbie Aurelius and in this episode I was delighted to get the chance to speak with Penny Moyle. Penny has a profound understanding of psychometric assessment tools gained over her impressive career and she shares the lessons she learned through her work both in psychometrics and more latterly as a coach. If you're completely new to the world of psychometric assessments, listen in for Penny's sage advice on how you can get started from scratch and start to build assessments into your coaching practice. So let's listen to the conversation. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Penny today. Penny, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Penny is a business psychologist. And her early career as a researcher in the Department of Experimental Psychology in Oxford University shaped her later professional practice. She's the former CEO of OPP Limited, which is now the Myers-Briggs Company, and she holds a doctorate in Experimental Psychology. Penny's work with Myers-Briggs Type Indicator has been particularly impactful and it includes a robust and academically grounded defence against some of the vocal but often misguided critics of MBTI. Penny also has deep expertise in a range of other psychometrics and some of her favourites are FIRO-B, TKI, CPI, NEO and 16PF. So I am very excited about speaking to Penny a little bit more about those things. So could you start off, Penny, by telling us about your early experience of personality assessments and maybe what attracted you to this type of work?
1: Like many business psychologists, my early career involved a lot of assessment work. I think I was initially uh, attracted to it because that is the general grounding for business psychologists rather than it being a particularly personal interest. What often happens at that point in your career is that you get assigned to these rather large scale programs. So psychometric assessments can be broadly uh, divided into sort of personality assessments and ability assessments. If you're doing recruitment programs, you tend to use both of those. And I guess the the big distinction for them, which we always try to make when we're giving people these assessments to do, is that for personality, there is no right or wrong answer. We all have a personality. But there are lots of different frameworks for structuring how you think about personality. And that's really what's captured in each of the different assessments in the alphabet soup you reeled off earlier of the different (laughs) kinds of assessments that I've spent my life playing with. For ability tests, there really are right and wrong answers Mm. and they tend to be divided into things like verbal ability, numerical ability, abstract thinking ability. Um, I haven't actually spent much of my career working with those in any detail. I've used them where I've needed to, but my main interest is really personality assessment.
0: Right, okay. Comforting to know that you can't get that wrong, at least. (laughs) So so how much of your early career was dedicated to using psychometrics for recruitment? Yeah, very little. Mm. I...
1: fell in with a consultancy that really majored on development. So I've really much more worked in team building, management development, leadership development. My early career, I did a lot of team building kind of programs. Mm. Where I've done recruitment, that's mostly been actually as a manager. So working for a company like OPP, we always needed to do best practice. you need to walk the talk, and we knew what the right things to do were, so that was what we did. So as a recruiting manager, I did that kind of assessment and was involved in those kinds of assessments, but in my practice as a consultant I
0: veered very much on the developmental side. Yeah, interesting. I suppose it's really good to use things for real as well as to consult about them. So, you know, having that experience as a manager and recruiting must have been quite helpful for your professional
1: practice. And of course, as a manager, I also was doing development work with the people that I was managing. Yes. So I, I guess that puts me in a sort of interesting position compared with a lot of freelance business psychologists, because I have had that experience of sitting in the managerial seat as well as having this kind of grounding in business psychology. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That must be so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did the link deepen between psychometrics and coaching in your experience?
1: Right. So, um, I guess in my, I guess it's my second career now since leaving OPP. Um, I've really developed an interest in a practice as a business coach. So, I came into coaching years ago when I was working, uh, both with OPP and in the consultancy I worked for previously where we would often do these big development centres. So as I say, as a junior psychologist, you tend to get assigned to uh, various centres and programs. So in a development centre, there would often be a battery of psychological assessments, so sometimes an ability test, although not always, but nearly always one or sometimes several personality assessments, maybe a 360 degree feedback, Uh, maybe we would observe people doing various things and take notes about them, which is always terribly intimidating. Always nicer to be on the taking notes side of the equation (laughs) than the person in the hot seat, but my job then working on those sorts of programs would be to, sit down and synthesize all of that to write a really nice report for somebody about what we've seen about them what are their signature strengths what are their development points and to sit down and take them through all of that on the best programs we might then have a couple of follow-up meetings that would be coaching so my first introduction to coaching was always on the back of that kind of mega assessment
0: yeah those must have been really purposeful coaching sessions, actually, with all that detail to get Yeah,
1: I, I rather suspect it was a bit of information overload for the person receiving it, but we would go into that to with you know a very clear, we don't have long, we've got a ton to get through, let me help you see the wood for the trees out of all this stuff you've had thrown at you, and hopefully distill that down to something that they could then... Uh, carry forward and make sense of. But it felt quite hard work for me to get through all of that. Um, And what I've appreciated more as life's gone on is if I was having trouble getting through that and I knew all the assessments, the person on the receiving end who didn't know all the assessments was probably a little bit anxious trying to work that all out for themselves. They probably didn't get as much out of it as I was hoping they would. And I think that for me has been a real big learning sitting as a more pure coach, where I'm not in part of a centre, is thinking, what is it that the other person needs to get out of this, and what's the best way of packaging that up for them? And I, by and large, therefore, don't give them a massive battery of things. Um, I'm much more pinpointed, focused, about what are their coaching goals, and what can I do
0: to help them meet those goals? And is assessment a part of that? Yeah, that's a fascinating observation, actually. And and seems quite an interesting difference from your experience of, of getting involved in large programme recruitment and, yeah. like you are saying, all of those different assessments at once, to now a much more person-centric approach from what you've mm. just said.
1: Yeah, and a lot of coaches do actually start a coaching assignment with some assessment to get them going. And when I started doing coaching as a freelance, in fact, when I was doing the Mailer Campbell program, I thought I would probably become that kind of coach. It was my home ground, it was what I was familiar with. I thought, well, that's what I'll do. I'll start every assignment with, I'll hit them with my favorite assessments. Then I'll feel really comfortable and uh, I'll know how to get going. And I'll have the luxury of probably getting more than a couple of meetings with them so we can really get into some depth. But during the Mailer Campbell program, My tutor suggested that I try letting go of my trainer wheels and doing the program, that isn't how we advise people start off doing their practice coaching. You just kick in with uh, non-directive processes and are very client-led. So by the time I'd finished doing that, I'd realized that I actually had a skill set that didn't require doing an assessment up front, And that was quite odd at first and liberating by the end of it. Um, so now in my my professional practice, I am much more thoughtful about when to bring in assessment and when actually that's not the thing that's going to most help them meet their coaching goals.
0: Right, yeah, that, that's so interesting. So, you, you've you talked about lots of different kinds of assessments and you yeah. listed quite a few at the beginning. Yeah. How do you choose which you will deploy, bearing in mind that you're now a lot more selective about the the tools that you use? Yeah, so
1: it really does depend on what they've said and their coaching goals. So when people uh, come up with things like, well, I just don't know what people think of me. Um, I'm trying to work out what my strengths are. Those are little, I wouldn't say alarm bells, but they're little bells for me to -hmm. think, okay, well, what might be helpful? So i found that I quite often use a 360 degree form of assessment, which isn't necessarily really a psychometric, and I can go into that in more detail in a moment. And then I will quite often use the Myers-Briggs type indicator. It's partly because it is my favourite. It's the one I am most familiar with, and I can uh, make it work in ways that I can't make other assessments work as well. But uh, for me... It's a great starting point, it has really positive language so if people are a bit anxious that helps kind of cut through that anxiety. At step one level it's a nice simple framework that people can grasp and run with and use quite immediately. If they want more depth I can go to step two and take them to more depth. If they don't want more depth I don't need to overwhelm them with 20 factors of different detail. that that may not be actually what they're wanting. The other brilliant thing about the Myers-Briggs is there are lots of resources available for the end user as well as for the practitioner. So depending on what their need might be, if it's having uh, you know, more impactful communication, then I'd choose one resource off the back of that. If it's about managing conflict, I'd pick a different resource. If it's about managing stress, I would pick a different resource. So I have all those options if I use Myers-Briggs as a foundation.
0: Yeah, that sounds excellent. So it, there's plenty of flexibility in you know the extent to which you use it and the different ways in which you can support it. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah.
1: Um, but sometimes I will choose a different assessment, or actually something that I found quite frequent is when I meet somebody in a, in the chemistry session along, saying, uh, you know, what's your experience of coaching? I might also add, what's your experience of psychometrics? Have you ever done any personality assessments? Because that's kind of interesting to me, but it's also a quite useful icebreaker to get a sense of where they are um, on these things. So sometimes they will offer that they've done one or another assessment, and then I'll say, you know, what did you get out of that? Uh, If they can remember, then that gives us something useful to work on, and probably weighs me in the direction of they might not need to do another assessment here, because they have something that was useful to them before. Quite often when they understand my background, they pull out a file and say, yes, I've done lots of these before, here are the reports that I've done before, never made any sense to me, or I've forgotten what it was, or uh, maybe you can help me get more sense out of this. So I have found myself, not infrequently, picking up on the back of someone else's assessments to then work with my coachee to work out what they can carry forward from that usefully. So that's a quite an interesting thing, and that's yeah. taken me into working with assessments that I was less familiar with before, some of which I'm qualified in, uh, some of which I'm not, and I just use my sort of general knowledge of the area, but that's kind of an interesting way to approach it, but yeah. I'd much rather do that than make my coachee take another set of questionnaires, because yeah, they've right. already been through that. No one enjoys filling out the questionnaires, and
0: that's not the fun part. That's true, and... In my industry, we talk about um, questionnaire fatigue. Yeah.
1: And sometimes that will be, you know, that will have been really well done and, and sort of not unlike the sorts of assessments I used to do. Um, and a really thoughtful report that, you know, is combining and synthesizing lots of different assessments. But for whatever reason, the organization sort of stopped there. You know, that was the development we're offering you we're getting you to look in a really detailed mirror and find out about yourself. Off you go. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. people sort of don't get as much out of that as I think the company expects
0: them to. That's a really interesting observation. Yeah, yeah I think that's been my experience too. I must say. Yeah. So
1: that I think that's really guided me as a sort of as, as a practicing coach mm. is I don't want to stay in that mode. I want to make sure that the, the person I'm working with gets what they need. If that harks back to previous assessments, it does. If it means doing an assessment, because some people have never done any and they're Mm. kind of curious, Mm. so that that might be another reason that I would do an assessment. Or it might be that they come in talking about things that actually, I think I might have in my head a framework of personality as I'm talking with them, Mm. but that Mm. doesn't mean I necessarily have them do an assessment or talk about that particularly with them. But Mm. it might be something that guides my thoughts about what's going on for them. So an example there just to be sort of less mystical about Mm it might be, I was talking to someone just yesterday who was talking about their temptation to get very detailed and in their 360 feedback, that had feedback about how at their level now they really needed to be bigger picture, more strategic, involving different departments, making those connections. So in terms of Myers-Briggs, I'm thinking sensing intuition. I did not talk with him about sensing and intuition. But it did inform how I then was talking to him about how that detail has probably been his, his favorite comfort zone. It's the thing that's made him successful up until now, but he has now risen to a level where he needs to balance that with the big picture. And for other people, they might have started from the big picture, and they'd probably be getting feedback that says, at this point in your career, you now need to populate that with a little more detail. So they just being able to put it to him that way. So I know I'm talking about personality. He
0: probably didn't. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds perfect, actually. Really good approach. So, Well, you mentioned that you use Myers-Briggs. You've spoken about Myers-Briggs a lot and 360. Um, Which assessment do you find that you use the most often? So at the
1: moment, 360s are what I'm doing a lot of. I don't know if that's just sort of the patch I'm in at the moment. But I do think that 360 feedback is incredibly important for people to understand how other people see them And in a coaching context, for me as a coach, it gives me insight into the organization as well as the person I'm I'm working with. So I I do a lot of that these days. I tend to do it quite informally, though. I think I mentioned earlier that it's not really purely psychometric. So in the world of 360s, there are very psychometrically sound 360s that are very detailed. They have lots of rating scales where you might rate people on a six-point or ten-point scale there are international norms, um, all of those sorts of things are taken care of. And if you are wanting to benchmark somebody against international managers or managers in their organisation, then that kind of thing can be really useful. Personally, I used to have to complete those quite often on people as a manager, and I found them quite tedious. (laughs) Because there's just lots of questions. So you need to be sure if you're going to go down that route, that what you're going to get out of it really does hit the spot. And what I also found from my experience of giving feedback around 360s is quite often the most interesting bits were the free-form parts where you say, you know, have you got any other comments? And that's where people write stuff. So these days I kind of just do that bit. (laughs) So if I can, I will try and set up phone calls with the people giving feedback. So rather than getting them to fill out a form, or write me an email, I do sometimes do it that way, but I will always offer, if you'd prefer, we can set up a phone call, and then I will have a conversation with them where I can really understand their feedback, because then when I'm working with the person I'm coaching, I know more than just the two sentences on a piece of paper as to what that was about.
0: Yes. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, actually. I suppose if you're giving somebody choices on a paper, they can only express one of those choices. But if you're yeah. giving them free reign to say whatever they've got to say, then you'll know, exactly. you know, find out anything. So
1: they, they um, and to give that a little more shape, I often use a, a structure called Stop, Start, Continue. Which you may have heard of yes. and others may have heard of, so what would this person benefit from stopping doing or doing less of? What might they start doing or do more of, and what should they continue doing that they're already great at? I do actually usually do that in inverse order, so I start with the good stuff. Okay, so what do yeah. they what should they continue doing? Just because I think that's a good way of starting the conversation, but it's essentially giving a structure, and it makes sure I get some positives as well as some developmental points there.
0: I love the balance of that model actually, because it is when if you're given constructive feedback of any type, it's so easy to think that that's the whole thing that you've got to focus on, and then forget all of the other brilliant stuff that you might be doing. Yeah, and we know from positive psychology,
1: you know, your brain works better if you have some positive stuff sort of front and centre, and not just being feeling weighed down about the things you need to do differently. Mm-hmm. In fact, with someone I was working with recently, I, I created an awesomeness checklist that was just lots of direct quotes out of the continue part of the stop, start, continue 360 I did for her because I felt that she needed to put more focus on what she was good at and help herself feel more confident in role rather than me constantly beating herself up for the things that aren't quite there yet.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of that. I'm yeah. going to try to use the awesomeness <laughs> approach. I think that's fantastic.
1: Good, so that's that's 360. So I do a lot, of, a lot of that in my coaching, which isn't strictly a psychometric, although there are, as I say, more psychometric ways of, of doing it. So sometimes I'll combine that with the Myers-Briggs. Sometimes I'll combine it with just them already knowing their four-letter type code, and then they don't need to do another questionnaire. I can run from there. Sometimes I'll use it in combination with something we've picked up from the uh, questionnaires and assessments they've done before, this sort of filing process that they bring yes. out for me. Uh, Sometimes I will bring in other models. So uh, one of my favourite questionnaires uh, is the TKI, which is the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Indicator, I think is its proper name. So it has a lovely model of different ways of doing conflict resolution. And it helps people realise what their favourite way of doing it is, Probably more importantly, it helps them realise there are four other ways. It has five different models of conflict resolution, so just helping people understand that individual difference can help them make more conscious and therefore better choices about how they might go in to resolve a dispute or a disagreement with a colleague or a client or whoever it might be. So that could be one I might bring in. Um, or another time I might bring in the FiroB, again another of my favourites. The Fire b is all about your interpersonal needs, it's all about relationships. Relationships are everywhere, they do often come up in terms of coaching uh, conversations. Mm -hmm. So if I'm hearing something in there that might be about inclusiveness or control or openness, which are the three uh, dimensions in the Fire b then I might think, well, actually the Fire b might be a useful framework for this person to be working with. Mm -hmm. So that's when I'll kind of dip into my toolkit and
0: pull out Something different. Yeah, it sounds amazing to have all of those things at your fingertips. Yeah, it's a privilege of the background I've got, I think. Yeah, really. Really interesting. So going back to Myers-Briggs, I know we mentioned at the very beginning of the recording, it's come under some criticism recently. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, yeah. Not just
1: recently, I would say yeah. that's been a, a thing going on for a long time. Obviously, I worked very closely with the Indicator for a couple of decades, really, or getting on for three now, that which makes me feel very old. Um, and throughout that time, there've always been people who are enormous fans, uh, who verge sometimes on the evangelical um, and people who are uh, naysayers. My take on this is a lot of the naysaying comes from a misguided place um, and a lot of stuff gets regurgitated and repeated uncritically. So, for example, uh, there was a recent book published, which is given the recent sort of spate of them, uh, by Merve Emre, Emery, which was a biography of the Myers and Briggs, the, the authors. Okay. But within the coverage of that book, there's been a repeated line that says, of course I take for granted that there's no reliability or validity to the Myers-Briggs. Well, it might be taken for granted, but it's just not true. There are hundreds of articles about reliability and validity of the Myers-Briggs, many of them published by the Test Publisher, but not all. Many of them are in peer review journals, but not all. Um, There is a lot out there if you care to go looking, but we're getting this kind of constant repetition that it's got no reliability and validity, even though that's not true. So I took my frustrations about that and wrote an article And my co-author, John Haxton, that was published in a really sound peer-reviewed journal last year, the Journal of Personality Assessment, really taking bit by bit what the common criticisms are and responding to those. So responding to them on a sort of point-by-point basis, but also thinking about where does this all come from? And my sense is, and I guess what I've put forward, is that the critiques that come that are largely coming from academic psychologists, come from a place of evaluating personality assessments as if they were going to be used for selection and recruitment. So they place huge emphasis on the ability of a personality assessment to predict job performance in particular roles. The Myers-Briggs was not designed to do that. As coaches, that's not what we do. That's, it's just a different world we're operating in. So in the Myers-Briggs framework, we don't say that this particular personality type will be better at a particular job role than another. We, in fact, talk about leadership, for example, being able to be done in 16 different ways. There are some types that are more attracted to leadership roles, but there are leaders of every type doing a great job, and, yeah. and it's not shouldn't be limiting in that way. Yeah. The kind of validity that is more pertinent for development might be Does somebody learn something out of using the Myers-Briggs framework that they didn't have before they used that framework? So it's a different kind of validity. And that kind of validity is really hard to assess, and there's much less published on it. But it doesn't mean that it's useful, therefore, to use a different kind of validity to say whether or not the Myers-Briggs is any good.
0: So it's just this kind of
1: mismatch. You know, I could bang on about it for hours. Um, I have done in the, in the paper and I do in other places, but, uh, but that's really my summary of it.
0: Fascinating. And it might be helpful if we can post a link to that um, resource so that anybody who would like to see more about that can Yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for explaining that to us. So we've talked about some of your favourite tools. Are there any other forms of assessment you find helpful in your coaching practice?
1: I think another area of assessment that I've uh, more latterly come to is uh, things like StrengthsFinder and those sorts of things and career anchors. So again, I really only came across those particular tools during my Mela Campbell training because I hadn't really been working in career transition work before, but they're really helpful in those places. And again, in the, in the hands of people who are very experienced, they can be really powerful starting places for a conversation. Um, they're ones I'm personally less familiar with, but I recognise them as really powerful and I'm getting more curious about actually learning more about them. Um, I think the strengths approach is brilliant. It is, the Myers-Briggs has a lot in common with that, it talks positively about what you're good at, what you prefer doing, what you like doing, what you're comfortable doing. Um, so that is quite an overlap with strengths indicators. But they also uh, you know, have a slightly different take on things. And for people who are trying to work out what will make them happy in work, just coming at it from a different angle with a questionnaire can sometimes unlock some thinking that wasn't there before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's so timely, I think, that we're taking a more positive approach to development, mm. particularly when issues like well-being at work are so... Uh, I don't know, hotly debated, I suppose, as they are now. So how do we avoid stressful work environments? And I think a lot of these sort of positive approaches are are part of the solution to that.
1: Well, and also having a bit of an individual differences approach to it. Mm. So what we find stressful at work will vary on what kind of personality we are. What I find stressful and what I find energising will be different from what you find stressful and you find energising. So having a bit of a personality overlay... Um, can be a really helpful lens for you to work out what kind of work uh, you're going to be most attracted to, what kind of work might be a necessary evil, you know, I don't really like doing invoicing but if I'm an independent practitioner running my own practice I kind of have to do that part but it's a necessary part of the, the thing, it's not what I enjoy doing, I wouldn't be a great accountant, that just wouldn't be a good job for me to go into so It's pertinent to really think of positive psychology that way, too. And if we're going back to the strengths, if you find yourself in a job where you don't get to use your strengths, that will be stressful for you. Right. So it's a really interesting way of thinking about the stress and
0: well-being agenda. Yeah, that's a very helpful way of thinking about it, actually. Yeah. Well, what would your advice be to a newly qualified coach who would quite like to build psychometrics into their repertoire of skills? Yeah, it's a question
1: people ask me a lot, actually. So I'd recommend getting qualified in an assessment. In terms of choosing which assessment, I'd really look at the sort of training they offer. Um, Having something that has a a good amount of training, it might cost you a little more, but you will learn a whole lot more than if you go for something that perhaps its it's key selling point is that you don't need training or you can get it for free. So the one I have most experience of, of course, is the Myers-Briggs training. It is excellent. It is quite long compared with some others, but it gives you great grounding in not just that assessment, but also in how to give feedback and the other skills you might want to think about for interpretation of results. There are a couple of others that also are in that sort of Jungian typology category that also have good training and cover the same kinds of things. So one is Type Coach and another is Luminous Spark. They are kind of new kids on the block but also really interesting. What's common to all of those is they have some really great resources that come with the assessment. So for me, particularly in coaching, part of my choice is not just can I get the right results or useful results from the questionnaire and is there a report, but it's what else is there that can be really helpful for my coaching client to take away. Each of those uh, brands that I've just mentioned come with quite a lot of resources that you can then refer people to for self-directed learning after you've left the coaching room. So for me, that's a part of the package and actually getting that whole package. It's a, a good assessment with reliability and validity and all that good stuff summed up in a technical manual. If there isn't a technical manual, I would say be very wary that there isn't actually that depth of research. So you want a good assessment. But you also want to know that you're going to have good resources that you can dip into that will be helpful for your client, and you really want one that has good training that is going to right. give you that grounding. Because if you haven't done this kind of work before, that training will
0: be invaluable. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That sounds like a really sensible approach um, to to selecting something. So yeah. yeah.
1: And I'd just offer my own experience of of training was that. When I, as I was finishing my doctoral training some many years ago now, and starting to uh, work as a business psychologist, I remember really objecting to the idea that I should have to have training. (laughs) And had a, I had a very horrible hoity-toity conversation with a customer service person where I was full of myself saying, well, I've just got my doctorate from Oxford University and why should I have to do this training? And they slightly patronisingly just told me that those were the rules <laughs> and I had to do it. But I went on that training and I learnt so much. It was life-changing. Wow. And so you know, I, I know that turned me around completely and right. I would recommend the same experience for others.
0: Yeah, a life changing experience sounds ideal.
1: Yeah. I would also talk to your network, find out what other people are using. People who are doing similar kinds of coaching in a similar domain to where you're planning to work or where you are working, find out what you know other practitioners are using. The other thing would be to talk with your coach clients. Find out what things they've done, what things they found useful, what works in their context. Mm. Because that may well reveal, and I'm finding it reveals, you know, instruments that I'd never heard of. But I think if people say they've done something and it had great impact, that makes me want to go and have another look. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So there's a lot that's free. Just because it is free is free doesn't mean it's rubbish, but have a good look. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff out there that charges quite a lot, and they're not all good either. <laughs> so I think you, know, you that, you know, whether you're paying for it or not doesn't necessarily give you a sense of quality. If you can, the other thing I'd suggest would be to find someone you can work alongside. So if you're new to psychometric assessment, the thing I learned a lot about early on was I did team building and I worked alongside somebody else. The somebody else was more qualified and more experienced than I was and I learned enormous amounts watching them and how they did interpretation of the different questionnaires and how they responded to questions about that. So if you can find an environment where you can work alongside somebody rather than just doing the course and then going in cold, I would absolutely recommend that. And I'd also recommend just sticking with one assessment for a little while until you're really comfortable with that. Okay. and then perhaps building on that. And that's the other reason to choose an assessment at the beginning that has lots of different kinds of applications because you will feel less need to go and grab something else if you've got a tool that you can use for you know, communication and leadership and stress and whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been absolutely fascinating. I've so enjoyed talking <laughs> to you about this subject. It's been amazing. Thank you. Good, I'm glad to be of help. you so much again Penny for sharing all that knowledge and experience with such generosity if you'd like to find out more about Penny or some of the tools and resources she mentioned during our conversation you can find that information in our show notes and you can get those from the Mailer Campbell website if you visit mailercampbell.com. Thank you to you. We really appreciate you listening into our podcast, and please feel welcome to share this episode with a friend or with a colleague who you think may benefit from listening to it too. If you had a moment to rate or review our podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us now, that will help us to be found by other people too. Thanks so much.